Well, can I thank our brother for the words of welcome? It's a pleasure to be with you here in Coleraine again and be able to share with you the ongoing work of the Trinitarian Bible Society. So a couple of things I'd like to do tonight. I'd like to begin in the Word of God, and we're turning to Ephesians chapter 6 uh, for a few moments. Then after this, I'll give you an insight to the society, who we are, and the activities that we are involved in. And then after this, some updates on two of our translation projects, the Bemba and the Turkish, then some distribution news, a little report on our scripture posters, and then finally some brief news and prayer requests. So Ephesians chapter 6, reading from the verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us tonight. It's those words in verse 17 I'd like to leave with you very briefly. Paul says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, if you were to turn on any of the religious TV channels today, you'd, be, you'd quite likely be met with a message telling you that the Christian life is a life that's free of any troubles and any trials and any temptations. It's a life where you don't have any problems, where there's no discouragements, and everything is just wonderful and rosy. Well, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he didn't paint the Christian life in that kind of light. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to them and he warned them of such a thing as spiritual warfare. And the Apostle Paul was not writing about spiritual warfare to make his letter more dramatic, to try and scare the believers there into spiritual submission. No, he had a love for them. He had a, a care for their soul. And he wanted them to be warned. He wanted them to be prepared. He wanted them to advance and progress in the Christian life. So he had to warn them that there is such a person as the devil. That there is such a one who seeks their destruction. And of course that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to create unbelief in our hearts. He wants to bring temptation before us that we would give in to us. Ultimately he wants to turn us away from faith. In the living God. And it's not just Paul who picked up this theme. Peter spoke about this as well. In his epistle, 
in chapter or first Peter five verse eight, he said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So the apostle Paul wrote to give them instruction. Notice the exhortation he gave in verse ten. He said, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He doesn't say be strong in uh, your own education. Be strong in your own good works. Be strong in your self-righteousness. Be strong in a large group of people. No, he said don't look to anybody else but the Lord for your spiritual strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not your might as an individual. Not your collective might as a congregation. Be strong in the Lord's power. And then the instruction in verse 11, he told them, put on the whole armor of God. He didn't say pick the pieces of the armor that you think you can manage. The pieces of the armor that are fashionable and trendy. The pieces that won't make you look silly. The pieces that won't be too heavy for you to bear. No, the Apostle Paul said, dear Christian, there's a spiritual battle and you need the whole armor. Not just the helmet, not just the shield, not just the sword. You need it all. Then he gave the reason for that in verse 11. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What is Paul saying here? He's telling these people that if they don't have on the whole armor of God. They won't be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. They'll be weak. They'll be vulnerable. They'll be prey. The picture that the apostle is painting here is that of the Roman soldier. And the reader would have been very familiar with the whole armor and outfit that the soldier wore. But imagine that soldier went out into the battlefield and he thought, well, it's too hot today. I'll not put on my helmet. That breastplate is awful heavy. I'll not bother with it. The shield is awful clumsy. I'll not manage that. I'll go without these items. Who would the enemy look to fight with on the battlefield? The poor fool who forgot most of his armor. And so it is, dear friends. We need to be those who put on The whole armour of God. But I just want to speak very briefly on the sixth piece of the armour. The sword of the spirit. Five very short headings to leave with you about the sword of the spirit. First of all, let us think of the provision of the sword. The provision of the sword. That Roman soldier going out into the battle... He won't have to save his money to buy his sword. He won't have to uh, make his own sword. No, most likely the sword will be provided for him. And you and I have not been left to fight the spiritual battle with our own sword. We're not told to go and find ourselves a sword. Take to yourself the sword of education, the sword of earthly wisdom, the sword of spiritual strength and good works and self-righteousness. No, The sword, dear friend, has been provided for us. And it's the word of God. And I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit clarified what the sword of the Spirit is. Paul said the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Imagine what men would tell us today the sword of the Spirit is. Uh, They would be telling us it's dreams, it's visions, it's tongue speaking, it's healings, it's all these things. The Holy Spirit says it's the word of God. Now notice... Paul does not say there are many swords. There's one sword. And it's the word of God. 
We are not left to rely upon anything else. We're not left to rely upon our education to get degrees or qualifications to do spiritual warfare. No, dear friend, God has provided the same sword to the most educated and to the least educated, to the youngest, to the oldest, to the richest and to the poorest, to all men in equal proportion. The Lord has provided one sword, and it's the word of God. And can I say that he has provided this sword exclusively? There's not many swords. There's one sword. Many people today think, well, I need to engage in apologetics. And I need to study philosophy and humanities and sociology and all these other things so that I can do spiritual battle. No, dear friend, the only thing we need to do spiritual battle is the word of God. Sadly, today, many Christians, they are putting down the sword of the spirit. And they're picking up self-help books. Many preachers are abandoning the preaching of the word and replacing their sermons with motivational pep talks. No, dear friend, for the spiritual battle in our personal lives, but also as a congregation, God has provided one sword, and it's the word of God. We're not to lay it down. We're to take this sword up. The provision of the sword. Secondly, the purity of the sword. I was doing a bit of research about swords and how they are made. And the Japanese are very into their sword making. And there's one type of Japanese sword. And the swordsmith is so particular about getting the metal as pure as possible that he puts that sword into the fire to remove impurities, brings the metal out, folds it and puts it back into the fire. And he repeats this process 17 times. To make sure the metal is as pure as possible and as strong as possible. So whenever we think of the sword that God provides to us. The sword that God has provided to his church. The word of God. What type of sword is it? Is it a paper sword that won't stand in the heat of the battle? Is it a weak and vulnerable sword? You see many people today will tell us that the sword of the spirit, the word of God, is an incomplete sword. They tell us that we don't have the finished Bible. They tell us that we are still waiting for more manuscripts to be discovered which may change and alter your Bible. They tell us that the church has been operating with passages that have been in our Bible for the last 2,000 years that shouldn't be in our Bible. They will criticize us today for, uh, for saying with confidence that we have the full word of God, the finished word of God, and the final word of God. They'll say you can't say things like that. Well, these critics are not from outside the church. These are people inside the church. There are evangelicals today who say that we should not preach the last 12 verses of Mark's gospel because they don't believe they should be in our Bible. There's evangelicals who say we should not preach the story of the woman taken in adultery. They say it shouldn't be in our Bible. There's evangelicals who say we should not teach our children to conclude the Lord's Prayer with the great doxology for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. They say that shouldn't be in your Bible. Why? Because they don't believe that God has given us the finished word of God. They are still dependent upon archaeologists walking around the Dead Sea hoping to discover more manuscripts. They're still dependent upon or hoping that more manuscripts are discovered in the Vatican Library. They say we don't have the finished word of God. They say the, this book that we hold in our hands, we can't be sure it is a pure sword. Well, what saith scripture? 
Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation and forever. One of the most neglected doctrines of the past century has been the doctrine of the preservation of Scripture, that God has preserved his word. That's what Psalm 12 says. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation and forever. The Lord Jesus Christ believed in the doctrine of preservation. He taught it. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Psalm 119, verse 89, the psalmist said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Settled. We could go on. Our Westminster Confession of Faith that our ministers and elders sign at their ordination. They began chapter 1 of the Confession of Holy Scripture. They didn't start with the doctrine of God. They didn't start with the doctrine of salvation. They started chapter 1 with Holy Scripture because everything is dependent upon this book being a settled book. And this is what our, our Presbyterian forefathers said in that Confession. The Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence, kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical. I love that phrase. Kept pure in all ages. Because that's what God does with his word. He keeps it pure. When the devil would seek to corrupt it, when men would seek to pollute it, God keeps his word pure. He always has, and dear friends, he always will. So when those naysaying evangelicals tell us Acts 837 shouldn't be in your Bible, we've taken it out of the NIV, we've taken it out of the ESV, we've taken it out of the Good News Bible, we'll say you have an impure sword. We have a pure sword. We have a settled sword. So we have the provision of the sword. We have the purity of the sword. Thirdly, the purpose of the sword. But what is the purpose for any sword? Well, there's a twofold purpose. The first purpose is to defend yourself whenever you come under attack. That's what we use a sword for, to defend ourselves against the attacks of others against us. And we're to do, we're to use the word of God for that. The Apostle James in chapter 4 verse 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do we resist the devil? That's a sermon in itself, but let me just give the example of Christ. In his temptation in the wilderness, in Matthew 4, the devil came misquoting scripture. And what did the Savior do? He quoted scripture back to him. Richard Sibbs in his book, A Bruised Reed, he, he made this brilliant point. I don't know why I didn't uh, think of it myself. But, uh, well, I know I didn't think of it myself. He's a lot smarter and more educated than I ever will be. But, but he, he made this point. He said, Christ could have called the whole host of heaven. He could have called all the power of the universe against Satan there in his temptation. But he didn't do it. He quoted the word of God as the most powerful rebuke to Satan. How amazing is that? The first thing we're to do with the first purpose of the sword, to protect ourselves. The second purpose is for advancement. The soldiers on the battlefield will only advance with the sword as they go forward. And so it is. God has given us the, the word of God for advancement in our Christian life. Notice, this is the only weapon in the Christian's armory 
for advancement. And the Christian will not advance in their Christian faith with the Bible left in the car door from one week to the next, with the Bible gathering dust on the bookshelf. No, if we're to advance, dear friend, we'll advance in this book and nowhere else. Mary and Martha, who did the Lord commend? Commended Mary for having the better part, sitting at his feet, taking in the word of God. And so it is with the, Christi, uh, with the Christian church. The Christian church will only advance with the sword of the Spirit in their hand. So the purpose of the sword. Fourthly, the power of the sword. God has not given us a, a powerless, blunt sword. Hebrews 4 verse 12 tells us that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrows and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is a sharp two-edged sword. It's a penetrating sword. It is a sword that is able to penetrate a hardened heart and bring that heart under conviction of sin and bring that sinner to faith in Jesus Christ. This is how precise the word of God is. The apostle says that it's so precise that it would be able to divide soul and spirit if it were even possible. And then it goes on to say that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. People read self-help books and they'll say, I can identify with what I've just read. They'll read a biography and they'll say, I can identify with that person. I can enter into their experience. But there's no book, dear friend, that knows you or I better than the Bible. There's no book that has been written with a more personal intent to your life than the Holy Scriptures. God has wrote this book to you. It, God knows everything about you. And the apostle, of course, is right. This book is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. It's a rebuke and correction when you need it. It's a loving arm and a tender embrace when you need it the most. There's no book so precious as the Bible. There's power in the word of God. And, of course, Peter saw that at the day of Pentecost. He saw the power of the preached word. Whenever he preached the gospel, 3,000 souls were converted. Going back to the Old Testament in the days of King Josiah, when the word of God was rediscovered, it was read and the people wept and reformation came to the um, land of Judah. There was even power to make that ungodly wretch Felix tremble as Paul preached the gospel to him. But notice, Paul calls it the sword of of the spirit it's a very important title and the reason he calls it the sword of the spirit well first of all because it's a breathed out word the apostle um, paul said all scripture is given by inspiration of god that is from the mouth of god and peter tells us that holy men of god speak as they were moved by the holy ghost so the holy spirit moved men to record this book but the the, the word of god and the Spirit of God, they work together. Think about it. The Bible, in one sense, is a book of paper and ink. A, per a person can carry a Bible. It won't get them into heaven. A person can read a Bible. It doesn't mean they're converted. A person can memorize this book from start uh, to finish. But it doesn't mean that they're born again. 
What do they need? They need the Holy Spirit to make the word effectual, to make it alive in their hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes the word effectual in the soul of the sinner. But likewise, the Spirit will not work where the word is not present. The Apostle Paul said, how can they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And very simply, that soul who has never heard of Jesus Christ, who has never heard of the gospel, they cannot be saved. They cannot be converted. That heathen in the deepest, darkest darkest jungle, they cannot be born again without hearing of Christ. So it's imperative that the word goes forward and that the spirit makes the word effectual. The power or the purpose of the sword. Fifthly, and finally I'll finish with this, the prevailing of the sword. There's many today, and sadly they're losing confidence in this book. They'll say, well, we'll not have the preaching of the word because uh, people don't come in. People aren't interested in preaching. We'll not go and hand out scripture because, well, people will not read it. Uh, We need modern methods to try and win men and women today. Well, Isaiah 55 and verse 11, the Lord says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. While men may be losing confidence in the sword of the Spirit, God has never lost confidence in his word. He has a threefold promise for his word. It will not return void. It will accomplish, and it shall prosper. God has the utmost confidence. I was speaking to a a pastor recently, and he said, you know, Craig, We've tried many different methods to get people in from the community. We've tried this event and that event and that attraction and that. But he said, you know what's been the most successful thing at at getting people in and even seeing people converted? He says, it's going out with Scripture, going out with that Gospel of John or Gospel of Mark. And he said it as if I should have been surprised or amazed. I wasn't surprised or amazed. I was fully expecting as you go out and sow the good seed of the word that there will be that harvest to come. Because it's not our word. It's God's word. And he has more of a care and an interest in this word going out to Coleraine, going out to Ulster, going out to Ireland, going to the uttermost parts of the world. He cares more about this word going out than even you or I do. God has promises concerning the prevailing of his word. We see examples of it. The Lord Jesus Christ used scripture whenever he rebuked the lawyer A certain lawyer stood up and tempted him in Luke 10, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? He brought him to the word of God. To the Jews in Solomon's porch, he said to them in John 10, Is it not written in your law? He brought them to Scripture. The Apostle Paul in Acts 17, it says, Paul, as his manner was, he went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. I don't believe there was a more educated man than Paul. He could have engaged with them on any number of things, but he brought them to the word of God. And notice what it said. And Paul, as his manner was, this is what he did. He brought people to the word of God. And that's what we are to do. 
Invite them under the sound of the preaching. Reach out to them with that gospel, that New Testament, that Bible. We don't have to force it upon them. We don't have to sit them down and preach a sermon. We could say, dear friend, there's a little book of scripture. There's a little gospel tract with scripture in it. Would you please take that and read it? I'll close with this. Whenever David was uh, alive, he had a number of great battles. I think the, the first great battle he had was with Goliath when he knocked over the giant and then took out the, uh, Goliath's sword and cut off his head. The second great battle that he had was with King Saul. And there's one time David had to flee from Saul. And as he fled, he fled in a hurry without his sword. He came into the house of Ahimelech. And he said to Ahimelech, I need a sword. And Ahimelech said, well, there's only one sword here, and it's Goliath's sword. And as David heard that it was Goliath's sword, he remembered the last time he held that sword in his hand, the last time he wielded that sword, God gave him a tremendous victory. It wasn't David that killed Goliath. It was God who used David to slay that enemy of the Lord's people. And when he heard that it was Goliath's sword, he said, give it me. There's none like it. There's none like it. I remember the power that I experienced. The last time I wielded that sword. Give it me. There's none like it. And the more the Christian wields the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, in their own life, the more they'll say, there's none like it. I can't be without it. And the more the church wields the sword of the Spirit, the more they'll say, we don't need anything else. We only need the word of God to go forth and to conquer and to see the kingdom of Christ advance. Give me the word of God. There's none like it. None like it at all. Well, may the Lord bless his word to us tonight. I'll move on now and share with you some of the ongoing work of the society. Just, I'm always mindful that it might be your first time here. You're maybe uh, not familiar with us, who we are and what we do. Very briefly, we're a Bible society. We translate the Bible, we print the Bible, and we distribute the Bible. And we've been doing this work for around 190 years. We translate the Word of God from the Old Testament Hebrew Masoretic, the New Testament Greek Texas Receptus, into many of the different languages of the world. We then distribute Scripture. We don't send missionaries out. That's not our job. The work of evangelism is the job of the church. We're not the church. We're the handmaid to the church. We provide the scripture for the church to do its work of evangelism. We uphold the great doctrines of inspiration and inerrancy and preservation, doctrines that are under great attack today. And we promote Bible translations which are accurate and trustworthy, some that we have prepared, some that have been prepared by other people. There shouldn't be a multitude of different Bible versions in the same language. There should be uniformity in the church. There should be one Bible version for the language. Sadly today, many Bible versions are not translated from the Greek Texas Receptus, which the authorized version and all the other great Bibles of the Reformation were translated from. They're translated from a modern critical text, which has about 6,000 differences from the Textus Receptus. Not just minor issues, serious issues, um, um, and many of them affecting the uh, deity of Christ, many passages taken out of the word of God. And then we publish a wide variety of scriptural items in many different languages. Well, in terms of our translation work, 
We have around 64 projects that we are currently working on. We give thanks to God that in the last uh, year, around 20 new projects have been uh, commenced, uh, which is tremendous that the Lord has raised up these workers to come forward and give themselves to this work of Bible translation. Uh, These are some of the recent projects that have been printed in the last two years. We first printed the Nepali Bible back in 2010, and there's been a huge demand for it. Uh, But we've noticed some areas of improvement uh, that could have been made, so we did a a light revision of it, and that was printed earlier this year. One of these is to be launched next week, uh, the Amharic translation for Ethiopia. We're due to launch it in uh, the capital, Addis Ababa, on Saturday, and we are expecting around two to 3,000 people to come to the launch of that Bible. There's been such a huge interest in this that uh, some of the most prominent evangelical leaders have vowed to support our translation and to bring their congregations. There's going to be launches in different parts of Ethiopia. They also speak Amharic in Eritrea, Egypt, uh, parts of the United Kingdom and the USA as well. We're also hoping to do a launch for the Amharic speakers uh, in London, and uh, I think that's due to be in the Metropolitan Tabernacle at some stage next year. So please remember that in your prayers for Saturday. But if the last two years have been busy, the next two years are going to be even busier. I should explain, we generally start with the Gospel of John, we translate it, while, and after it's printed, the translators finish the New Testament, and while it's printed, they continue on the Old Testament. On average, it takes about 15 years from start to finish to get a whole Bible translated. And you'll notice some of these here uh, are maybe languages that you've never heard of. They're maybe going out to a very small group of people, maybe a couple of hundred thousand, maybe even a million people. Then there's others like the Chinese there that'll have the potential to reach around a billion people. But we believe that everybody should have the opportunity to hear God's word. Uh, Whether they speak a a little-known language or a well-known language, uh, they should be able to receive the precious gospel in their own mother tongue. Well, two to mention for you here this evening. First of all, the Bemba translation. Bemba is the Bantu language spoken in Zambia uh, by the Bemba people and a further 18 related ethnic groups. This makes Bemba the most spoken indigenous language in Zambia, where there's around 4 million speakers. Zambia is a landlocked country. It's full of rugged terrain and diverse wildlife with many safari parks in it. Um, Bemba is spoken in the central and northeastern regions of Zambia. The Bemba people are referred to locally as the forest people. Many of them still live in rural villages of uh, wattland daub huts with grass on the roofs. Malnutrition is uh, linked to their culture and there's many tropical diseases such as malaria. The life expectancy of a Bemba female is only 54 years of age and it's only 52 for a male due to their lifestyle. That's about 30 years less than us here in the United Kingdom. In terms of religion, Christian missionaries went amongst the Bemba people back in uh, the 19th century and a good number were converted. But sadly today, Christianity is the nominal religion. That's all it is. Many are still caught up in the African superstitious practices of witchcraft and other things like that. We have four translators who are working on the Bemba translation. We've printed the Gospel of John recently and the translation team have just begun uh, 
They finished Matthew and Mark. They've just begun working in Luke. And here's one of the translators explaining the need for a new Bemba translation. So in many translations, there are some words which are missing. Even some verses are missing in some other translations. So it is important to translate a new one so that all those words which are missing and verses must be must be uh, uh, added to the Bible. The blessings of the Bible translations are that people who get the scripture in their own language and lives will change in amazing ways. They will be transformed as they discover Jesus Christ and enter into a right relationship with God. I am blessed uh, for making the scriptures available to people in a simple and easy understanding language of their own. Even I myself am also blessed because the easy language and simple uh, translation will even help uh, my family, my church, and other people who will be, who will be getting this uh, uh, easy to read Bible translation in their own language. Umuchi nishuandi wafye. Nitata, ewu chindika. Uo inuwe mutila. Well, please remember the Bemba translators in your prayer. You've maybe never heard of the Bemba people before tonight. Well, there's another group of people to put on your prayer list. Oh, I should mention... Uh, uh, we received a report recently there of a missionary and he was passing between Zimbabwe and Zambia at Victoria Falls. That's a picture of it up there. And as he was going through, he had a suitcase and they were full of gospels. And the customs officials thought, well, these must be worth a bit of money. He's got that much through. So they were trying to get sort of a, a bribe from him. But he was determined that he wasn't for, for giving them anything and he asked to speak to the manager. And the manager came and he looked in the suitcase and he saw that it was uh, the Gospels. And he says, I'll let you go if you give uh, each of these men a copy of your Gospels. And he was delighted to do that, to share the word of God with them, but also to get through without having to pay any customs fees. The next one to mention is our Turkish New Testament that we have recently printed. You can't read your Bible for too long without reading of the land of Turkey. In Genesis 15, we read of the Hittites modern-day Turkey. Saul's hometown of Tarsus was there, as are most of the cities in his missionary journeys. Uh, the apostle Peter wrote to the scattered strangers, modern-day Turkey, and the seven churches that John wrote to in Asia Minor, again, modern-day Turkey. So um, much of the New Testament um, happenings and goings-on, especially uh, from Acts onwards, relate to the land that we know today as Turkey. Uh, the early church hit, uh, was very busy around here as well with many famous councils and bishops, emperors and theologians. But under the Ottomans, the form of the language became known as Turkish. It has been written in several different scripts, Arabic, Armenian and Cyrillic over the years. But in the 1920s, Turkey underwent a number of reforms and they officially adopted the Latin alphabet and the vowel system as the standard form of the written language. It's estimated around 80 million people throughout the world speak Turkish. More people speak Turkish than live in the United Kingdom and Ireland. But not just in Turkey, two million 
speak Turkish in Germany, and 750,000 in Bulgaria, and then Cyprus and Greece as well. Now, in terms of religion, Christianity permeated Asia Minor through those early centuries. But sadly, the growth of the Ottoman Empire in the 15th century brought with it a close association with Islam. The Ottomans became the custodians of all of Islam's holy sites. The reforms of the 1920s declared Turkey to be a secular state. But more recently, Islam has become a bigger factor, and freedom for non-Muslims has become an uncertain aspect of life. In fact, there's an expectation that to be Turkish is to be Muslim. It's estimated there's about 10 different minorities in Turkey, Kurds, Gypsies, Syrians, Jews, and others as well. But what about evangelical Christians? In a population of over 80 million people, they estimate that there are less than 2,000 evangelical Christians today. I venture to say there were more Christians in the first century in that land than there are there today. So there's a great need for God to visit that land once again. There's a good history with the Turkish Bible. Uh, there have been attempts down through the years to provide it for them. In 1657, a man by the name of Ali Bey began translating the Bible into Turkish. Remarkable story, because he wasn't a Christian when he started translating the Bible, but he was by the time he finished. But sadly, nobody printed his Bible. It lay in the university library for 150 years. Imagine that. There was the light of the gospel, and it was hidden away in the darkness of a library. It was discovered and printed in 1819. There are Bibles in modern Turkish, but sadly they're not from the Textus Receptus, so they have all the issues and faults that modern uh, translations do that are from the critical text. But it's also a very poor translation um, by translation standards. It doesn't use formal equivalents. It uses more dynamic equivalents. It's a looser translation. So in 2002, we printed the Gospel of John. We've reprinted it twice since then. And we have recently printed 7,500 New Testaments. And they are available for distribution. Uh, sadly, our lead translator died in 2017. And he never got to see the fruit of his 20 years of labor. The translation team have most of the Old Testament finished. And we hope to have that available in the next couple of years. So please pray for Turkey. Pray for the Turkish speakers as they hand out the word of God that it will be a means used by God's Holy Spirit even for the reviving of Asia Minor once again. Well, that's only two of our 64 translation projects. I'll move on and mention a little of our distribution work. We distribute Bibles and scriptural items in two ways. We sell items to those who can afford to pay for them, and then proceeds from our sales go into our grant fund. So over the last two years, we have sold over 8 million items, and we have given away uh, around 3.7 million items. There's people in the world who still can't afford a Bible. There's parts of Africa where a Bible could set you back the equivalent of one month's salary. There's also parts of the world where it's very hard to find a Bible. We find that hard to believe. We have shelves full of them. We can go to a bookshop tomorrow. We can order off Amazon and it'll be here in two days. But there was a couple in Africa I was told of recently. And they traveled three days to a major city to try and find a Bible and to buy it. 
They got to the city, searched the city, couldn't find a Bible, returned home empty-handed. There's pastors who don't have Bibles. We have to send Bibles out to them. There's still believers in the world who don't have their own copy of Holy Scripture. We were sent a photograph recently of a man in Africa, and his Bible only ran from Leviticus through to Thessalonians because he had wore through the cover, and Genesis and Revelation and the other books had disintegrated in his hands as he read his Bible. So there's still a great need for Bible distribution today. But if you think of that, that's just shy of 12 million scriptural items that the TBS have sent out over the last two years. We know of 109 countries where the word of God has gone to. But we shouldn't just think of the the large number, 12 million items. That's 12 million pieces of scripture going into the hands of 12 million souls who need to hear of Jesus Christ, who need to be built up in the most holy faith. There's the seed being scattered. We're to pray for the harvest of that seed. We printed the Simte Bible um, earlier this year, and one of my managers says he's never worked with a group of people so eager to get the Bible in their own language. Once the translation was finished, they would phone up and they would ask, has it been printed yet? Has it been shipped yet? When will it be here? When will it be released from customs? The last time they had a Bible was in 1991. They had to wait all that time because their language has evolved so quickly that if we printed the 1991 edition, um, it wouldn't have been uh, really understood by the Simte people today. But here's a video of the Bible, or or the lorry arriving with the Bibles uh, amongst the Simte people in India for the first time since 1991. So I don't know what happened to the picture there. It went a bit uh, grainy. Uh, I thought it was my eyes at first there. But uh, you'll saw, you saw the excitement uh, of the people receiving the word of God. They, they came to meet the lorry. They queued out the church and down into the street to get their hands on a copy of the Bible and then they held Thanksgiving services in different places. I got an email today telling me that all the Bibles they got, around six, 7,000 of them, have now all been given out. They've been so eager to put a Bible into the home uh, of all the Simte people. Uh, so do pray that uh, this will be used by God even for the conversion of many souls. Just some brief pictures of where the word of God has gone. This is from Russia at the end of last year. These men and this little boy braving the cold to share the word of God. We do the Bible in Russian. We also do it in Ukrainian. And there's always been a big demand for the Russian Bible. It's always been one of our biggest um, uh, or 
one of the Bibles most popularly distributed, uh, Ukrainian has seen a bit of an increase this year. These are young people in India receiving the Bible for the first time, the same in the Philippines. These, this is a pallet of Bibles arriving uh, for free distribution in Harare, and the Chichewa New Testament being given out in Malawi, and Bibles being given out in South Sudan and at a Sabbath school in Nigeria. I'm told that children, whenever they get a Bible, um, they're told to look after it. Because for some of these African children, it might be the only Bible that they ever get in their whole life. I heard an account of one person and they said they had to share their Bible or they had to share their grandmother's Bible. And whenever their grandmother passed away, then that became their Bible because they didn't have a Bible for themselves. We did a project in 2019 to hand out 100,000 copies of the Spanish New Testament in Latin America. There's been a huge demand for the Word of God in Latin America. And these are some pictures of where the Word of God has gone. One of the men overseeing the distribution in Venezuela and Colombia is a man by the name of Plinio. Now, 15 years ago, Plinio was a member of a Satan-worshipping gang. Him and his friends used to have ritualistic services to the devil where they would drink animal blood. But one day, after one of their services, they were going down the street, and they heard the local. They were going to commit a robbery, and they heard the local Pentecostal preacher, and he quoted one John one verse nine, "The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin." And that really resonated with Plinio. And a short time later, he was converted, and he's now a Reformed Baptist pastor in Colombia, overseeing the work of Bible distribution. There, you and I might look at a person and say, "Well," They're too far gone. Not even God could help that person. But there was a man who was literally worshipping the devil, drinking animal blood to worship the devil. And God took him out of the kingdom of darkness and brought him into the kingdom of light. Our scripture posters have been uh, used down through the years. We started in 1975, paying to advertise in the London Underground and train stations. I met a man earlier this year in England. He told me that he was cycling to work one day and he saw one of our posters outside a church and he read the Bible verse, thought nothing of it, cycled on his way to work. Then he said, for the next couple of weeks, I couldn't get that Bible verse out of my head. It's all I could think about. In the end, he said, I give in and I went to church. And I heard the gospel, and I was converted. And it all started with a church putting a simple poster outside their building. Because God has promised his word will not return unto him void. We've, uh, sadly, the uh, but, uh, railway station posters, some have objected to us paying them to advertise in their train stations. Uh, it looks like the Lord has been uh, closing that door, so we're exploring a new avenue of bus stop posters and we value your prayers for this campaign as um, we seek to launch it Uh, well it has been launched but as we seek to expand it in the coming years Uh, schools have opened again it's given us a good opportunity i've been able to hand out about 1700 bibles in schools here in northern ireland uh, this year and we're hoping to get into more schools next year if the lord wills there's a big overlap between the work of the fpc mission and the society These are some of the languages where 
Uh, the Free Presbyterian Mission Board has, has interests, and we hope to have translations for these in the next uh, number of years. Next year, we're hopeful of printing the Gospel of John in Kakamba and Swahili, and we trust that our missionaries will benefit from those. Uh, in Uganda, we sent a grant of uh, scripture out there earlier uh, this year, and we sent 800 uh, Bibles and 1,200 New Testaments and other scripture items as well. And whenever news reached the wider community, the Bibles were available at the school. A number of people started visiting the school asking if they could have a copy of God's Word. And that's even more amazing because the school's actually located in the middle of a Muslim and Roman Catholic area. And there's people coming to the school asking for Bibles. The, the outreach team was also able to present New Testaments and Bibles to 30 inmates and 12 staff at the local prison. And we were also able uh, in 2021 to send a grant of scripture to Kenya as well. Well, we do the scripture online where, for the people who can't get a printed copy. We're trying to get all our scripture online so they can go on and read it there. We're also working on audio scripture for the uh, blind who cannot read. They can listen to the word of God. We're also working on a British Sign Language translation. One um, person told me at the weekend there that this would be excellent because quite often a person using sign language is having to interpret on the spot. And if we can have a formal translation, uh, they said it would be very helpful. There's 151,000 people in the UK who use British sign language. So we're going to have videos on our website uh, with the word of God being communicated by that means. One prayer request to leave with you is for our translators. Some are living in very dangerous places and pray that they would be kept safe, pray that they would know help and pray that the Lord would raise up more to give themselves to this work. We bring out new products all the time. I have the book table you'll see as you go tonight. There's also a new booklet. It's free of charge. All the booklets are free. Please take as many as you can use and there's other items for evangelism as well. Just one verse to leave with you before I hand back to our brother Stephen. Psalm 19, the psalmist reminds us, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's word is perfect. And the psalmist tells us what it does. It converts the soul. So what are we to do? We're to get the word of God into the hands and into the ears of those who need it so that God can do the work of conversion. He hasn't given this task to the angels. If he did, it would be done by now. He's given this job to the church to go into all the world to preach the gospel, to preach the word of God. And for those places where we can't get the preached word in, we can get the printed word in. The amount of people who've told me they have been converted simply while reading the Bible is astonishing. The preached word and the printed word are the means that God uses for conversion. And it's our job to get the word into their hands, into their ears, and let God make it effectual in their hearts. Thank you for your interest. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for having me along.